It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. On tonight's California report, President Biden has approved a disaster declaration for areas of Northern California affected by the Dixie and River fires. And ranking number one isn't always the best. The Caldor fire has created the worst air pollution levels in North America. We'll take a brief look at local headlines and weather before Felton Pruitt gives us our chamber report this week from Sierra County. We close this evening with a commentary from Paypal Dave. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. President Biden has approved a disaster declaration for areas of Northern California affected by the Dixie and River fires. The declaration means federal recovery funds will be available to individuals, businesses, and tribal governments, helping them cover the cost of such things as repair and cleanup work and temporary housing. The declaration covers Placer, Plumas, Lassen, and Nevada counties. Those who are seeking assistance are invited to go to the website disasterassistance.gov. That's disasterassistance.gov. Millions of dollars in state funds are also being used to help fire victims. The Caldor Fire burning east of Sacramento and near Lake Tahoe has created the worst air pollution levels in North America. In fact, according to air quality monitoring service IQ Air, the top 10 cities with the worst air quality in the country right now are all in Placer, El Dorado, and Washoe counties. But there could be a little bit of relief on the way. Seth Morphis is an air resources advisor for the Caldor Fire and says winds are scheduled to shift beginning tomorrow. The winds in northern component are, are not forecasted to be as strong and we'll also have the ridge uh, component which has a tendency to serve as a lid on a frying pan and hold that smoke down closer to the ground. So I don't think that we'll be as clear as we were about a week ago but the northerly component, northeast component may help some. And the smoke from the Caldor fire has triggered air quality warnings hundreds of miles away here in Southern California. For health reasons, people are being asked to limit their outdoor activities so they aren't exposed to the unhealthy air. The Caldor fire has increased in size, burning nearly 123,000 acres as of this morning. Turning to politics, California Republicans were ecstatic in 2003 when voters ousted Democratic Governor Gray Davis and replaced him with a Republican and movie star, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And California has given me absolutely everything. And today, and today, California has given me the greatest gift of all. You've given me your trust by voting for me. Thank you very much to all the people of California for giving me this great trust. Now, with another recall election this September 14th, the state GOP is hoping to do it again. But was Schwarzenegger's tenure ultimately a win for the party? KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos has this look back. It wasn't just Davis's unpopularity or Schwarzenegger's Hollywood status that propelled the former actor to victory in 2003. Schwarzenegger capitalized on his position as an outsider, promising to blow up boxes and upend business as usual in Sacramento. He pledged to repeal the so-called car tax and balance the state's budget, but not raise other taxes. Former Republican Assemblyman Sam Blakesley took office around the same time as Schwarzenegger. It's kind of hard to imagine the enthusiasm that everyone felt having someone like 
Governor Schwarzenegger, uh, the Terminator, show up and claim he was going to fix the state, he was going to clean house, and he was going to restructure government so it worked more like a business. Blakesley, who eventually became the Assembly Republican leader, says it wasn't just Republicans who were excited, though. I remember talking to lobbyists and fellow Republicans and even Democrats who were genuinely excited to see what he could get done. At the beginning of his tenure, says former Schwarzenegger Communications Director Rob Stutzman. The party did consolidate around him for, for quite a while. But governing is different than campaigning, and Schwarzenegger soon found himself faced with a massive budget deficit, in part because he repealed that car tax. In his first year, Schwarzenegger had political wind at his back and managed to convince voters to borrow $15 billion to close the spending gap. But one year later, when he tried to go around the state legislature with another series of ballot measures, voters resoundingly rejected a package that, among other things, would have curbed state spending and weakened public employee unions. After losing that ballot fight, Schwarzenegger brought more powerful, experienced Democrats into his administration, including a new chief of staff. That was the point when a lot of Republicans broke with Schwarzenegger. Blakesley says the governor listened to those Democratic advisors. And Arnold embraced their perspective, and a lot of Republicans were aghast and you know, deeply confused because they literally thought they had voted for and had one type of governor at the top of the ticket and woke up the next day and found out he was someone altogether different. Budget fights with both parties in the state legislature would color Schwarzenegger's entire tenure. But another former Republican assembly leader during that time, Connie Conway, says she saw his willingness to listen to all sides as one of his major strengths. Conway credits Schwarzenegger for raising up the voices of minority Republicans during budget negotiations. I always appreciated the fact that I feel that Governor Schwarzenegger was inclusive. Everybody's opinion did matter. And uh, I mean, it was it's part of his DNA, I think. Still, Stutzman says that after Schwarzenegger won re-election in 2006 and reneged on a campaign promise not to raise taxes. At that point, I think Republicans were getting frustrated. And two of his crowning achievements may have undercut an already waning Republican Party in California. First, in 2008, he wrote a ballot measure that took legislative redistricting powers away from lawmakers and put them in the hands of an independent commission. Then in 2010, as he prepared to leave office, Schwarzenegger backed a ballot measure that ended party primaries in California and allowed the top two candidates to move on to the general election, meaning neither party has a guaranteed spot in the runoff. If you want to make sure the lines are fair and if your goal was to make sure that the election was determined by as many voters as possible, Republican and Democrat, then that was a success also. That's Alan Zarenberg, CEO of the Cal Chamber. He says the initiative did what Schwarzenegger and other backers wanted. They opened the door to electing more centrist politicians. Stutzman also sees those measures as a win because they strip power from both parties. And says Schwarzenegger achieved other victories, like reforming workers' comp. By and large, I put Arnold up there, uh, his Republican governor record with, with just about any Republican governor we've had. As of today, he's also the last GOP governor California has seen. For The California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. Support for The California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, August 25th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. The California Parenting Youth Helpline has been an essential tool for parents throughout the pandemic. Coming up, California News Service's Suzanne Potter investigates this highly utilized resource that currently only has funding until December. More than 10,000 people have called the California Parent and Youth Helpline during the pandemic so far, but the funding is set to run out in December. The helpline operates from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., seven days a week, so people can speak to a trained counselor about things such as parental anxiety, kids' mental health struggles, and conflict between parents over the best way to help their kids. Arizona State University professor Elizabeth Harris analyzed all calls more than 10 minutes in length and found that the helpline is an important release valve. When people are at a point of acute frustration with their children, they cannot wait weeks until they get in to see a therapist. They need to be able to pick up the phone and get help right now. And that's what a helpline does. The helpline number is 855-4-A-PARENT. And the live chat and support groups are at caparentyouthhelpline.org. The service started at the beginning of the pandemic and will shut down at the end of the year unless the state of California extends its funding. Dr. Lisa Payan Berlin, president of Parents Anonymous, says counselors reassure parents that they can build their resilience and help their children. The therapeutic techniques we're using help mm-hmm. people address those underlying emotional issues so people can change behavior, so people can deal immediately with what's going on. A recent separate study in the journal Child and Health Services Review, co-authored by Harris, found that parents who call the helpline or participate in a Parents Anonymous support group are much less likely to be accused or convicted of child abuse or neglect. This is Suzanne Potter for California News Service. Find our eight trust indicators for transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. In regional news, shortly after 3.30 this afternoon, A multiple-spot fire was reported on East Bennett Road, burning at a rapid rate of spread. The blaze is being referred to as the Bennett Fire. By 3.43, mandatory evacuations were ordered for GRS E-222, and Idaho-Maryland Road at Brunswick was closed. Bennett Air Attack reported an approximately 20-acre blaze at 2.48. Structures are threatened, and road closures include East Bennett at Ophir. By four, the fire had spotted across Idaho, Maryland, threatening numerous structures. Nevada Union High School is a designated evacuation point. Sierra College, Nevada County campus is currently closed due to the fire. All business complexes on Whispering Pines are being evacuated as of 4-13, reports Ubinet. There are shelter-in-place orders at Atria and Crystal Ridge Assisted Living Facilities. There is currently a hard closure of southbound Highway 49 at Brunswick as of 5 p.m. The Bennett Fire is reported at 25-plus acres, with over a 100 attending personnel as of 5 this evening, according to Ubinet. Yesterday morning at 5.57 a.m., Grass Valley Fire Department and GVPD officers responded to reports of a commercial structure fire at 123 Margaret Lane, directly adjacent to Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital. Crews worked to extinguish a two-story fire and determine its cause. The fire was determined to most likely be an act of arson. GVPD identified and arrested suspected 35-year-old Grass Valley resident Christopher Rex. 
He is charged with multiple counts of burglary and attempted burglary and one count of arson. This reported by Ubinet. Nevada City School District announced Deer Creek Elementary School students would have a spontaneous holiday today thanks to a break in a main water line. Seven Hills Campus continued to operate as usual. Their vacation will have to wait. This story courtesy of Ubinet. The Nevada County Deputy Sheriff's Association released a statement on their Facebook page regarding COVID-19 vaccine mandates. In the press release, they expressed their disagreement with state mandates that healthcare workers and school staff be vaccinated. Quote, We further demand that employers, to include the state of California, respect an individual's right to make their own choices on issues relating to their own private personal health care. End quote. Teachers in Nevada County have the option to choose getting a vaccine or being tested weekly for COVID-19 virus. Currently, the state's two largest teaching unions, the California Teachers Association and the California Federation of Teachers, both strongly support the vaccine mandates. In a sweeping victory for Tahoe conservationists, California's 3rd District Court of Appeals sided with Sierra Watch and dealt a staggering blow to development plans for Squaw Valley. Quote, Today's decision marks a major milestone in the multi-generational commitment to conservation in the Sierra Nevada, end quote, says Tom Moores, executive director of the plaintiff group Sierra Watch. A panel of three justices based their decision on the project's impacts on Lake Tahoe, fire danger, noise, and traffic. The Sacramento Bee reports Placer County health officials are now recommending residents use masks indoors regardless of vaccination status as hospitalizations for the Delta variant of COVID-19 surge in the region. Quote, the Delta surge has resulted in record numbers of COVID-related hospitalizations this week and is leaving our local hospitals with less room to absorb more patients requiring hospitalization, end quote. The county said in a news release Wednesday, quote, Hospitals in Placer County are providing critical care in areas not typically designed for that purpose and are experiencing strains on their workforce, end quote. Countywide, there are now 12 remaining ICU beds. Nevada County Public Health Officer Dr. Scott Kellerman has amended his August 18th order on face coverings to include further mandates for crowded outdoor settings and larger events. The order becomes effective August 27th. The amended order requires that everyone, regardless of vaccination status, wear face coverings outdoors in crowded settings, prohibits indoor and outdoor gatherings or events where 2,500 or more people will be in attendance until further notice, and requires that events with 500 attendees or more develop and implement a plan to verify vaccination status or proof of a negative test, preferably within the 24 hours of the event, and now for the regional weather and your air quality index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, widespread haze, then mostly clear, with a low around 56. Tomorrow, widespread haze, then sunny, with a high near 88. Current air quality is unhealthy for sensitive groups with an AQI of 129. Tomorrow, unhealthy for sensitive groups with a potential AQI of 148. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, widespread haze and smoke, with a low around 40. Tomorrow, the widespread haze and smoke continue, then sunny, with a high near 79. Current air quality is unhealthy, with an AQI of 180. Tomorrow, unhealthy, with a potential AQI of 167. And for our friends to the south, in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, mostly clear, with a low around 56. Tomorrow, sunny, with a high near 95.
Current air quality is moderate with an AQI of 79. Tomorrow, unhealthy for sensitive groups with a potential AQI of 108. Next up on the KBMR Evening News, we have a report from the Sierra County Chamber of Commerce. They want to remind you that temperatures remain high up in the Sierra City area, making for great swimming, boating, and lots of other activities. However, the smoke from the various fires comes and goes, and so do the crowds. It would be wise to remind everyone that as much as they would love to see you, please do check all conditions, air, weather, and roads before traveling, and stay safe. They're seeing increased availability in several hotels and restaurants with the start of school. The Sierra City Big City Rod Run Car Show is scheduled for September 11th. And on September 18th, the Downeyville Antique Bottle and Collectibles Show goes on. There's one last music event at the Buckhorn Bar and Mountain Creek Restaurant on August 29th featuring Dust in My Coffee, Ten Foot Tiger, is playing at Sabrina's at the Forks in Downeyville on August 20th, and Boomtown Lounge in Downeyville occasionally has weekend music and beer on their patio. Come check out Sierra County. Masks are again required indoors regardless of vacation status, and stay safe. We close with a special commentary by Leading Edge Baby Boomer, Dave McGuffey. Please refrain from the OK Boomer comments. I'm Papal Dave with your 5-minute opinionated editorial. I'm a baby boomer. I've said this many times before, but I'm not just any baby boomer. I'm a leading-edge baby boomer. That means I was born in the first 10 years of that generation. The generation gap. There are 38,000,000 of us. My wife is a trailing-edge baby boomer, She was born in 1963. We grew into a world of constant change, scientific achievements, advances in the world in every area. So we thought. Our classroom education left the most important parts out. We had no idea as children that America was so racist. We are white. And for the first time, I have to say, I'm sorry to say so. Now, I have grown up with transistor radios, TV, stereophonic record players, and TV in the classroom. But as I became an adult, change seemed to be trolling me. I immediately loved the new Nautilus Gym franchise and attended frequently, but I resisted in-home plastic exercise equipment. We embraced cable TV. But today, it is easy to resist multiple streaming platforms. The cost of each one adds up, and passwords and user logins become repetitive. As a child, we boomers had three to four TV channels, and now the number is into the thousands. Okay, some channels are carried on multiple platforms, but who needs all those? Every TV is larger than necessary, and you can't get it repaired like in the earlier years. I resisted multiple TVs in my home originally because the price of six or seven hundred dollars in 1980 was as much money as I earned in a month. 
what were finished wood cabinets holding our entertainment systems in the late 70s became attractive wood-grained, high-impact plastic cabinets with rounded corners for that modern look. I did finally, toward the end of the TV tube era, purchase a stereo sound color TV from Panasonic, but it was a faux wood box. The cost was $750 for a 24-inch TV. Now you can understand my resistance to having a TV in multiple rooms. I also resisted four-slice toasters, but accepted new cars with air conditioning. In 1996, I bought a convertible, a brand new convertible with a CD player. Had no use for that for the first year, but eventually I purchased a collector's edition double-disc CD of rock and roll favorites. It was 10 years after CDs became the norm. Just as I bought recorders to make my own cassettes and 8-tracks, I bought an expensive CD recorder, which is still very much in use by me today. Oh, I make CDs on my computer, of course, as the new cars do not come with CD players anymore. The purpose of my rambling argument today in the fashion of Andy Rooney is to point out I've had enough change. Still prick my fingers to check my sugar. Still have an outdoor thermometer, even though I use an app on my phone. The latest change is driving me crazy. The fact that real brick-and-mortar stores don't offer simple items. Now we have to look online for things like a fly swatter or a bathrobe. I'm never buying groceries online, though. It's not natural to stay cloistered inside. We called that antisocial, a hermit, a recluse loner. I like people of all races. I still use a pencil. I like debit cards, but refuse to touch and go. I use only my bank cards. Hated Star Trek, but love Star Wars. Love the Avengers, but really dislike zombies. I adopted children and dogs, but hate the repeated ASPCA and Shriners ads. I like politics, hope the millennials will vote, but I hate war. I'm Pavel Day with his five-minute op-ed. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast for tonight, Wednesday, August 25th, 2021. Coming up at 6.30 is The Sages Among Us. Then, at 7, we bring you Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.